1: Happy Tuesday, everybody. This is Robert Graham sitting in for my good buddy, Seth Leapson. Hopefully, you're having a fantastic day today and enjoying a little cooler day. It's about time that we turn the temperature down. It it seems like here in the middle of November, we should actually have cool days. The nights have been a delight, but days, it just seemed not to be cooling off, but today was awesome. So all that being said, we've got the heat up in a number of different places. It seems like they're... There has just, you talk about political tensions, you talk about political unrest, you look what's happening in the economy worldwide, you look at the tensions between nations right now, it feels like we are in a ship without a rudder, that there's no steering that's happening right now. People are just kind of spinning out of control, bumping into each other, getting agitated with each other, and there's not a lot to say for it. Then you look at the United States of America and talking about rudderless leadership, uh, just even from the very first day that Joe Biden took office. It is remarkable, to say the least, what has happened since he has taken office, and so many things have gone wrong. They may actually chalk it up as victory, and many of you may agree with me that a lot of the things that have gone wrong, and I'm holding my fingers up in quotations, were intended because it's it's the defabricating of the United States of America. If you can pull the fibers out, if you can start to pull things apart and try to create this great society that so many of the Democrat progressives want— Then what happens is you, you, you win, right? And so they try to get their ideals and then they start to manufacture or social engineer everything around them and they take control. So one of the big things we talk about as it relates to being a conservative and we start looking at political dynamics, you look at economic dynamics, you look at impact points is policy matters, okay? There, there are times when you start hearing about policy that's on the table and people kind of shrug their shoulders and say, "Ah, eh, you know, really, that doesn't apply to me. Well, it likely does. We talk about ripple effect. And you, you take some policy, you throw the pebble into the the pond, and you this calm little palm, and all of a sudden you see these ripples that kind of stretch out and they go across the pond. Well, what happens is it touches virtually every part of the pond, right? It touches every aspect of it. So there may be a policy that happens over here with climate control, things like that. And you think ah, it's not going to impact me, but it will. Okay. You turn the corner, you start thinking about healthcare policy and you see what's happening right now with the vaccines and the mandates and now with Joe Biden coming again with a whole nother mandate that he may consider doing. And when I tell you, your heads are gonna explode. It just gets to a point where you just you go, What the heck? But how does it all impact us? One way or the other, it's going to impact us. Now again, the Democrat model is government control. The government, they believe, is smart. And that the government is going to tell us how to be the best we possibly can. And they start to govern every single aspect of our life. You turn the corner and you look at Republicans, and I would say even more so conservatives, understand the value of accomplishment. They understand individualism. They give credit to each one of us of having a brain and being able to think for ourselves and make decisions. But now what happens is you see this weird dynamic that we have where we have the House-controlled by the democrats and largely controlled by the progressives a small body in that in that body is putting enormous pressure on the democratic leadership and they feel almost obligated to Bend or to mold or to conform to the the loudest voice, smallest body, loudest voice. So, again, a unified voice has power and they do things. Then you see what's happening. We've got a Democrat-controlled presidency, obviously, and then a, a Senate that is supposed to be controlled by Republicans. And you have squishy Republicans, even in a time like now where you see an approval rating of the president, one of the lowest I've ever seen in my lifetime, and the Republicans, 13 of them, somehow found their way to voting with the The Democratic president and his bill in ushering in this massive infrastructure and all this debt on top of it, that's really going to start – I mean talking about pressure. It puts an enormous amount of weight on our backs to try to find our way out of it. And And will we ever find our way out of it without some kind of financial catastrophe that's coming? So you look at all this and you say – Okay, all these policies and these plans that people campaign on, they say, I'll never do this, I'll never have a mandate, and then it comes. Or they promise a certain thing, and then they do it, right? I mean, Obama talked about fixing health care and doing things like that. He did it, right? In his mind, he thought he was fixing it, and maybe it was exactly what he wanted to have happen is this government control. We know that. But his definition, people bought into it and he did it. So either you're going to get a real promise and real action, and I think the best example is Donald Trump. Donald Trump said, I'm going to come in there, I'm going to make America great again. I'm going to make America rich again. I'm going to make America safe again. I'm going to make America what it is as it relates to the potential. And he did it. A lot of people sat on the sidelines and said, he's just so mean. Well, I'll tell you what, today when you go to the gas pump, how do you feel? Okay, do you think you're so mean you look at the supply chain and you see how messed up and jacked up it is. You look at all these government mandates as it relates to the vaccines and all these uh, draconian measures that different leaders are taking because they feel empowered to do so. The government is ruling us. Look what happened in Scottsdale Unified School District this week. And if you're not familiar with this story, and again, this is a local story, but this is happening all across this country where you have this demonizing of parents, right? They're trying to criminalize being a parent and speaking up. Okay. We have that all the way from the the DOJ all the way down through to the schools, and you have a president of a school board that's carrying dossiers on parents. Now, here's the scariest thing about this. It wasn't just, hey, I have a name of this person. Let's say it's Robert Graham and that he's a crazy person and he's going to give me a hard time. It's the name. It's the family. It's divorce decrees. It's social security numbers. It's financial backgrounds. If there's bankruptcies, pictures of his family and his kids. I mean, this is not only a violation of our our privacy, but this is crazy. What does this guy intend to do with this? But again, what I'm going to suggest to you, this is policy, this is government, this is overreach, right? And so what happens is we, we've got to really separate personality and policy. You've got to get to the, the bare bones and understand that when we start to elect people, we're going into this election process where we have a tremendous opportunity because people are seeing a very distinct difference. What a contrast between a conservative leadership versus a Democrat-controlled, in our lives leadership. People are tired of it. They don't want to be told anymore. They want to make choices, and they want to be respected as smart individuals. But nonetheless, personality – people voted for personality. And look what we've got. Okay, we've got people in office that really don't know what they're doing. With President Biden and Kamala Harris – They look at each other for signs. They look for each other for help. They can't hold a press conference without really getting into a bad situation or they come across as dictators, right? Telling us this is what's going to happen. Even with the courts ruling the way they've been ruling, President Biden comes out and says he may even require booster shots. Okay, now. Again, my head just goes, Ka-pow, you know, what is happening here? But what happens is if you look at the underbelly of America right now, people are disenfranchised. We're starting to lose that incentive, right? You try to get ahead and do what you possibly can to make things happen, but it feels like every time you start to stick your nose out or start to push forward, it gets pushed back in a hole. And that is a a, a disheartening thing, but it makes it so that we start to lose that energy, the enthusiasm, the emotion that makes America great, right? This American dream, where is it? When President Obama took office, you may remember in his inauguration, He talked about uh, the American dream, and he said the American dream is no longer in the United States when he took office. His quote went over like a lead balloon, right? People just kind of couldn't believe that he said this. But the reality is, is that America is resilient, and we bounce back, and we fight hard. And when this whole transition happened with Biden, the progressives, and the Black Lives Matter, the riots, and everything that happened, how come they all ended the way they did when Biden got elected, if, if there was all this systemic racism and such, why did it just end, okay? I mean, we have these little pockets of conflict that are happening, and we're seeing that bubble up again with this Rittenhouse uh, uh, case that's going on right now, this trial that's happening. But the reality is, is it, it, there's a lot of show that's happening, okay? So now it happens. People take power, and they start to grab, and they try to get attention, and they do it. So there's a lot of manufacturing of information, but there's not a lot of action, Trump was the other thing. If we could have gotten Trump to balance a little bit more with the public image as well as the action he was taking, he would still be the president of the United States. I believe even even the fraud. People felt the benefit that was happening when he was the president of the United States. People were back to work. Okay, You had this dip in employment. You have this dip in the supply chain. There's people still not hiring because they can't get the products that they need to manufacture the other parts in order to sell them to people. So they're still holding off. So we're still underemployed in so many different places because the supply chain is broken. How do you do that? Okay, you do that with these crazy mandates. Look what's happening with their airlines and stuff. So again, the reason I bring all this stuff up at the beginning here is because we're gonna gonna touch, we're gonna go through this. What's happening in Asia, Asia Pacific? What's happening in the Middle East? What's happening in the United States? What's happening in Europe for heaven's sakes? Why are we at this point where we're getting compressed from all sides? Again, it comes to a, a weak leadership of the United States and an empowerment and opportunity that comes to these other countries that are going to be bullies. Again, this is Robert Graham. I'm filling in for Seth Leibson today. The ideas explore lots of ideas. And I want your feedback as it relates to these mandates and what you think really needs to happen. Some of you may may want it. I don't know. Some people don't. Anyways, we'll be right back after the break. Lots more to cover, and we will stir it up the best we can. This is Robert Graham. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham, again, filling in for Seth Leibson. And that's perfect music, actually. I've got... um An article sitting in front of me right now. We start talking about the trade and start talking about the economy, right? There is a summit meeting, the so-called Three Amigos Summit meeting, and that is held typically at the White House each year since 2016. That's with Mexico, Canada, United States, and it has to do with the USMCA deal. Here's the dynamic that we're facing here, okay? So one of the biggest challenges that I have right now is when we start talking about climate control and you start thinking about some of the solutions that people start to explore, some of them may be material and have real outcomes. There was a group that is uh, owned by a, a man named Simon Hodson, and he has a bona fide way, okay, to impact the climate in a good way. And it's it's legit, okay, in the sense that we had Donald Trump's administration. We had the IRS, the Secretary of the Interior, the U.S. Uh, TA, the um, uh, the Interior. All of these different groups came out, and they actually did a study on on his his uh, system. And what it was is to take the slurry ponds and all the nasty stuff that once you kind of scrub down coal. You have this weird, nasty, toxic liquid, and they pump it out. If you've ever been to Pennsylvania or some of these other states, and you stand up on these mountain ridges, you can look down, and you see these ponds where they've literally lined these valleys with plastics, and they pump it in there, okay? And then eventually, they can grow stuff on it or what have you if, if the liquid that's in there is... Um, Uh, kind of solidifies a little bit more, what have you. And it's just, it's kind of gross. Okay. You see this and you see this kind of taking hold. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not this big tree hugger. I believe in being uh, as respectful and to manage the resources we have the best we possibly can and be responsible. Okay. So what this guy's technology does is pretty fantastic. It actually takes that slurry and it separates it into three things, water, It separates it into natural topsoil mineral. And then it leaves this stuff called carbon ore. It's like graphene. It's uh, very fine little metals that can be heated and used for energy. It's remarkable in so many ways. Okay. So you see this and you go, okay, I get it. And the natural topsoil mineral helps to restore oxygen, It, It the quality of our vegetables. I mean, there's just a whole bunch of things I can list off. So I look at this. I explored this. I went to the sites. I actually helped write some of these key points into President Trump's talking points when in Pennsylvania and such in this last election cycle. So it was tangible. It was real. OK, you could see it and you can see the benefit of it. And they're going to start producing at a mass mass level and really cleaning up and putting a lot of people to work. It's cool. Right. So then you see this shift to electric vehicles. Now, my question is, everybody says, oh, I'm responsible because I'm green because I'm driving an electric vehicle. What do you do? How do you get electricity in that darn vehicle? What do you do? You take the vehicle and you plug it into the wall, right? There's a charging station you might pull up to, or it might be in your garage. Who knows? But you're gonna plug into where does that electricity come from? Okay, now the demand, look at all the gadgets we have today. We have our we have our phones, some of us have tablets, we have our laptops, we may have some other gadget that we're plugging into the wall to try to keep our lives going every single day, but it seems to be growing exponentially. You see, digital uh, billboards, you see digital signs. I was in, uh, Mexico city and I just was blown away by some of the digital. Then I was in Las Vegas and I was even further blown away by these ginormous buildings that have become digital billboards. I mean, it's, it's insane, but it's consuming electricity. Okay. Where does electricity come from? Over 40% of our electricity comes from coal. Okay. Okay. Now, if our demand increases because people are plugging their vehicles in, does it take the pressure off coal? It doesn't, okay? But then you have these mandates of coal has to be this or we feel here in the United States or in Arizona specifically where they put all these guidelines around these coal-burning facilities and they keep raising the bar, making it so they have to go out of business because they can't afford to retrofit themselves to meet unscientific standards. And so it's crazy. So the consumption on one hand. So what happens is, again, policy is going to impact what's happening and it's going to crash into each other. So you have Biden who comes in. Again, Mr. Dictator doesn't read the rules. And he wants to say, hey, all electric vehicles should be manufactured in the United States. Now, many of us go, yeah, that should be the case when you put deals together. Anyways, do the best you possibly can to get as much as we can manufactured here. That helps to balance the the trade balance and um balanced trade between the different countries. But in this particular case, he's saying this is the way it goes. So Mexico's flipping out, Canada's flipping out, and a number of other nations are not happy with some of the decisions that he's making. But again... You look at policy, you look at impact points, you see what's happening, and you say, oh, man, you got a set of rules that we have to follow. And we have to do the best we possibly can to do it. But again, one of the big de facto's when you look at through any of the headline news, it's climate, 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 climate change. And one speech I heard, and I can't remember who the leader was, he says, we all meet together. And we all talk about things to do. And we never really do anything to have the outcome that we define. And they're all flying in their private jets which I think in some cases it's like thousands of gallons of fuel that are being burned per hour. They drive up in their SUVs. They do all this stuff. Now, again, it's hypocritical. It is what it is. Maybe they're really fighting for a solution. I believe some of them are. But let's get to it. Let's figure it all out. But the reality is is that the way – the state of the world right now, alternative energy has a hard time and will not be able to support us as it relates to our demand and what we're doing right now because it just keeps growing exponentially. There's a great book called Why, Why We Hate Oil Companies. and It is David Hoffmeister, was a former CEO of Shell. And I think it's a great book. It frames it all. It puts it in a great perspective, shows you some of the pressures, shows where the subsidies came from with hydrocarbons and all these things. And you get a good feel for why you need a kind of all of the above approach if you're going to transition at all. But nonetheless, it's back to what are the impact points? What are we seeing happen in the economy? And where are dollars starting to shift and move? Now, speaking about this pressure that we see from the current administration, now under Trump, and again, it was, it was an amazing blessing to work closely with the administration as I did and to see things and have my friends in different posts around. But one of my good friends worked in the APA, and they had, when, when they started, they went through and they removed almost 1,700 agency rules, just poof, took them away, that were just draconian. They were putting an enormous amount of pressure on businesses and such. And then what you saw, it was almost like taking your knee off somebody's chest where they could just take a great big breath and the pressure went away and they started to bring people in and they started to get creative again and they started to innovate again and they started to do things that were remarkable. These are all these little shifts that happened. Again, we talk about policy impacts our lives all the way across the board. These policies did it. We started to see the exploration of oil and gas. We started to see the refineries. We started to see all these refined products and stuff hit our streets and we started to really see that the United States could be energy independent and what happened to our gas prices. They went down. More people went back to work. The pipeline was putting people to work. One of the first orders that uh, President Biden did when he stopped the pipeline, about 47,000 people have lost their jobs so far. Okay, It's still coming. Get ready. There'll still be numbers coming out. We probably won't hear much about them, but it's happening. So you see all this, and you get smart about it, and they all have the impact points on our economy. Now, look at what's happening with housing. See what's happening with gas prices. This whole notion of inflation is very real. And it's starting to impact people's quality of life because you can only buy so many goods and services with a dollar in your pocket. OK, so that dollar only goes so far today because of the impact that you are feeling from inflation. So this economy starts to tip back and forth when you have this high inflationary environment. We come back from the break. We're going to hear more from D- John Dombrowski. And I'm going to ask him those questions. What are the impact points? that are gonna really affect the outcome. So again, if you're invested, you might wanna stick around because John's gonna have some answers and some encouragement of the things to do and not to do. Be right back after the break. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham, again, st- sitting in for my good buddy, Seth Leapson. And right now, we've got John Dombrowski on the phone with us. John, how are you, sir? How you doing? I am doing fantastic. Are you hanging in there with all this wild crazy stuff that's happening out there?
2: Oh, yeah, we're, we're getting by. You know, we had corporate uh, earnings continuing today, and yep. uh, one of the areas we've been looking at and really have been um, waiting to see what type of results would happen, Robert, has been the uh, Retailers, you know, because that's certainly a great indicator as to how the uh, consumers are thinking uh, when it comes to spending money. And we've been seeing some positive outcomes on uh, third-quarter earnings and also into, you know, their uh, forecasting for fourth quarter. So uh, it looks like the economy is still moving forward. We're seeing the markets very close to all-time highs uh, still and uh, that's that's a positive for the market right
1: now. It's pretty interesting to see, you know, and it was kind of almost uh, with the Q3 stuff, and especially talking about retailers, we saw so many places and people, news media, saying, "Hey, if you're going to get Christmas presents, you buy, buy them now." So a lot of people, right. because of the supply chain issues, and so I think a lot of people were shopping a little earlier. It'll be interesting to see how it impacts. Q4, but like you said, it seems like people are still spending, and um, seem to. I mean, we see a lot of the inflation, and we see prices going up in houses and yep. stuff. So it seems like yep. uh, they're not backing off. Are, yeah. Are, yep, yep. Where do you yep, think exactly? When you think about like an inflationary environment, what are you telling people as far as um, how to think about their investments going forward? I know you have a very broad. And diversified strategy, but um, is there a place? Or I mean, how should people be thinking? Are they should they be freaked out when they start hearing about inflation like this and and seeing? Well, it?
2: you know, well, yeah, a lot of people. Are, when I'm sitting down and talking with people, whether it's for reviews or whether it's new people who are calling us uh, to sit down and discuss their portfolios, uh, they're all they they seem to be very concerned about this because this is not something that. Uh, we see on a regular basis the spikes in inflation that we've seen. So there's no question that there are reasons to be concerned. So the question then is, is that what should we be doing with our portfolio? Should we be less aggressive? Should we be moving into bonds? Should we be trying to uh, look at different sectors of the market? Well, what we do uh, is really really look at different sectors of the market based on current economic conditions, which we're seeing right now, higher interest rates potentially, uh, higher inflation. We're seeing, though, the consumer spending. We're seeing real estate values are still moving higher. So the economy still has not in my opinion at this point, Robert, uh, come to a screeching halt to where we should be considering making drastic changes to a portfolio. Now, that time could come, but for at the, at the moment right now, I do believe that people should not be um, as concerned as maybe some of them are. Now, we should be cautious, and we should certainly plan our future moves, but right now, uh... it still looks like growth is a good place to be consumer discretion which is a sector of the market uh... those are the things we buy because we want them not because we need them and that sector of the market is performing well so that again is telling us that there is still um, most likely some room for these markets to go higher and some are projecting the s&p next year uh... maybe to you know show nine to ten percent of a return next year so if that's true And the Fed may start to decide to back off on some of those interest rate uh, raises that they were talking about. That all bodes well for stocks. So for those out there who are looking for information, looking for uh, maybe some guidance, uh, please reach out to me, call me at at, uh, Grand Canyon Planning, and let's sit down and talk about what you could be doing.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting, John, because you've... When you think about experience, you've been through some of these cycles. So this isn't like it's a brand new consideration for you where a lot of people, they maybe really have amassed money now that they're they go, man, we have something here now. We need to protect this. And so and they're nervous. And that's why working with somebody like you gives them some confidence. So you mentioned call you. What's the best way to call you? What's your number?
2: Yeah, two ways. One, they can call our office 480 991 Or go to our website, grandcanyonplanning.com. You can request an appointment right there or get our phone number on the website as well.
1: Yeah, and I would encourage encourage you. I was in that industry for a long time, and you see things different as a financial professional. And you sure. can be it's less emotional. More fact-based, more data-driven decisions, and that's something that we all need when we're we're navigating through something that is so personal to us, especially when we start thinking about our dreams in a retirement. So,
2: yeah, we think about the inflation issue, Robert, right? And so we think we we've, we've got to maybe start. Uh, Moving out of some of the growth areas of the market, but some of those areas right now are still performing very well. And I don't want people to miss out on these opportunities that may still be ahead of us here in the short term.
1: Well, thank you, John. Go ahead and take us
2: out. Appreciate it. You bet. Securities and Advisory Services are for the Client 1 Securities LLC, a member of Finrance Tipic, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Plenty Associates LLC, and Client 1 Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Robert.
1: Thank you, John. Have a wonderful day. All right. Bye bye. All right, everybody, you got it, and I, and I can't encourage you enough. If, if you hear it in John's voice, he's confident, he's comfortable, and he's been there, and that's one of the things, The Grand Canyon planning, think about them and think about the best possible outcome. If nothing else, get a second opinion. So, Robert Graham. We'll be right back after the break. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham, and we just heard from John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning, and we talked a little bit about inflation and the impact points on our dollars. Okay, so so here we look at what's happened in the supply chain. We look at what's happened with oil and gas. Let me, let me just touch on oil and gas, okay? When you look at oil and gas prices at the pump, that's when you go, oh, man. You feel it every time you put your – the spigot inside your vehicle and you start filling up the tank and you see the dollar amount at the end. Now, some of us, some of you may not even pay attention to that because you have the capacity to just fill it up and drive away, right? You may not even look at the receipt. You may not even look at how much money is coming across there, but think about people you work with, maybe some people that work for you or have other dynamics, they may only be able to put five bucks in there. Okay. Is that giving you a gallon today, right? In California, it's a gallon. Here, it's just under a gallon or a little bit more than a gallon, excuse me. And so you look at this and you start seeing these. These are the points that really impact people's lives, right? It changes your behavior. You start asking yourself, hey, maybe I shouldn't drive so much today. And you shift the way you behave. Okay, maybe I'm riding a bike instead of driving today. And those are points that not every American feel, but the masses are feeling this. Young people are feeling this and they're changing their behavior because it's too expensive to drive and do things like that. Now think about the most simple definition of inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods. Okay. So John touched on it briefly where he said the Fed may or is going to increase some interest rates. Well, what that signal says is they're trying to constrict or tighten the economy a little bit. So by raising interest rates, fewer people Take loans because it becomes more expensive. Take a loan and it starts to constrict the money supply. So the definition of too many dollars chasing too few goods, it starts to reduce. When that reduction starts to happen, it's going to impact prices and things like that because there's not as much money out there to buy goods and services. Okay, So the theory is it's going to put or dampen – Inflation, slow it down a little bit, okay? The idea is, is really what's causing this. When you see this great big stimulus like the $1.2 trillion or the money that they're sending us in our IRS is giving back of these special little credits that we're getting to stimulate the economy and such, those are dollars going into the economy. So again, dollars going into the economy, buying goods and services, people can raise their prices, okay? Turkeys, you hear about turkeys. How many people are buying turkeys for their dinner this year? Not as many as they did last year because they're too expensive, the way the supply chain impact has been, the way inflation's going, you started looking at people's consumption behavior changes. Now, again, John's right. When you start to invest and you invest in long-term type of things and you start thinking about ownership always benefits from inflation, bottom line. So when you start thinking about stocks and these types of things, if it's a smart investment, smart, diversified portfolio based upon your suitability, you look at it and you say, hey, this is the best possible outcome, but having ownership will benefit. Bottom line, if you own a home today that you bought 40 years ago, more than likely the value of that home is much higher than it was when you purchased it, and you don't have any debt on it. So did it benefit you to have that value go up year over year over year or, or multiple years? Heck yeah. So that's, that's just one tiny example of inflation economics, the valuation and such benefiting owners. Okay. So that, that is something to consider. But the reality is it's here. And so you look at this fine balancing act that the Fed has to take and the way their markets respond to it and the way the global markets respond to it, because it's not just the United States anymore. There's this whole notion of globalization's going away and there's an anti-globalization movement. That is so bogus to even say that. I mean, we talk about the number one threat to the United States is China, okay? And we we have a guest that's coming on just after four, Matt Salmon, who's running for governor, but he was a congressman he served for many years in congress his background in the asia pacific is very important and you've heard seth talk about it this week and a lot of the tension and conflict that's happening in that area and i want him to come on and, and share some of his personal experience in that area because it is critical to understand what's happening there if there's a world conflict likely it's going to stretch through the asia pacific and head toward russia okay because of what's happening with russia and the ukraine and what having the buildup that's happening there and also near Georgia. Okay, the border's there as well. So all these things happen. But you got to remember, trade is one of these things. It's money, right? It's resources, it's energy, it's all of these things. So if you start to impact the trade boundaries, and the way people are manufacturing goods and services, you're going to have a massive impact on the outcomes for your different economies, okay, and the national security. So China, We know they steal our intellectual property. We know the attacks that they've had on our country. You know where they stand, the threats that they've lobbed at us when it comes to Taiwan and some of the other maneuvers that we've been doing into the Asia-Pacific oceans with our Navy and such and with Australia. You hear all these different things happening. No one is slowing down in their foreign direct investment in China. I say it's like capitalism with a stick, right? They figured out the value of capitalism and went away from their state-owned organizations, but they still have the stick. They still keep their people in line. They're still a communist nation. They do it, and they put an enormous amount of pressure to have it. And so with that dynamic, they can cap a lot of the the labor expenses and such. So people move there. Publicly traded companies from all over the world are moving there, their operations and, and doing foreign direct investment there because they can manufacture goods and services for less. Bottom line, whether you like it or not, it's happening, right? And that's something that should be very scary to us as, as Americans is that they're capturing this. And when they do that, what happens when they raise the prices? If they capture the world's manufacturing and textiles, what happens when they start to raise the prices? Okay. Can we go somewhere else? Not if all of it's happening there. So this is this whole America first dynamic that we talk about here is creating environments here to protect us so that we can manufacture goods and services that we can participate in the global market so we can take their money and bring it into our economy. That is critically important. But when you have government putting policy on us and squeezing us down, that's why we have a hard time doing it because how do you afford to manufacture a panel? If every time you turn around, they're layering more and more restrictive covenants on the way you do business, the way you handle employees, mandate this, mandate that. And what happens, it, it becomes prohibitive and we can't run our businesses. Not profitable. You got to raise the prices so high that the world markets won't buy for us from us. And right now, that's the consumption game. Only about 5% of the world's consumption comes from the United States. I mean, like we're selling about 5% into it. So there's a lot of room to capture more market share and to expand our economy even more. But that's why we get back to this conservative free market dynamics, limited government, and we start to find our way to a really exciting time. And that's why these midterm elections are critical, and we have to start thinking about all the stuff that we're looking to to the future. You think this economy is doing well, imagine if it actually has support and stability underneath it. Because we're allowing for innovation, we're allowing for creative, and we're incentivizing people. My daughter's in a class at American University, which is one of the most liberal schools on the planet, and the, this government class was demonizing billionaires, So they have too much money. This isn't fair, blah, blah, blah. A lot of these billionaires that they were citing were people that did it themselves, okay? They created how many of these billionaires? That's a lot of money, okay? How many of them, how many employees work for them? How many people have jobs and benefits and health care and have... A standard of living based upon their creativity, innovation, and the risks that they took to be entrepreneurs at the beginning. So, again, we, we always focus on what somebody has when the left is looking at us. We don't think about their contribution. And that's the, that's the wild and crazy part of this is a lot of people that are innovators and are entrepreneurs are starting to look at different places in the world to put money because the incentive is disappearing under this administration. Obama started the trend Trump brought it back, you know, try to keep it, you know, as healthy as we possibly could and then didn't have that. If we had that second term, my gosh, we would have we would have put it into some cement booties and kept it here. But nope, this Biden administration is destroying us. When we come back. We're going to talk about that other vaccine mandate. I'm curious what you think. Back after the break. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham, and I am sitting in for Seth Leapson and having a fun time doing it. So again, talking about the economy, talking about what's going on in the world, the impact points and some of the risks that we have. We, You've heard Seth this week talk a lot about the Asia-Pacific, the tensions that are happening there with China, the threat to Taiwan, what's happening with Australia, some of the impact points that are happening in in Eastern Europe, and, and just the tensions, right? You know, you start to see people flex their muscle and you start to say, whoa, you know, this is crazy. Because again, if you whether you like this or not, people did not mess with Donald Trump. I mean, if, if you had people like in Syria, for instance, that were unruly and horrific to their people, they do something, he responded, right? You have a bad guy that's out in the open, he responded. Any time that there was contention or tension, that people took a physical approach to the United States, Trump stopped it. I mean, if you looked at one of his speeches with the UN, I'll never forget this. He stood up in front and said, "Look, I'm going to get up here and talk about America first, America, 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 America." And he said, "Every one of you world leaders should do the same thing for your country." And I agree with that. They were elected. For the benefit of that nation. So of course you're going to negotiate hard. You're going to lean into it. You're going to do what you possibly can to help the overall welfare and benefit of every single American, every single person of their country they should be fighting for. So he did that. So what happened, if you look at Putin's behavior, look at some of the other folks, they stood taller and they watched, right? They didn't take action. They were worried. It was the same thing under Reagan. They just did not mess around. You look at the somebody I heard talking about the Iran-Contra uh, Dynamics and then you see what happened with the hostages. What happened a few days after he got elected? Ronald Reagan, he said, look, I'm coming. Right. They released them. And that's where you start getting to the point where the world knows you mean business or not. You had a limp wristed approach from the Obama administration and you have that carrying forward with Biden people in other nations are vying for the top spot they're going to lean into this and do what they possibly can when you have a government that is nervous about taking an approach on anything you do it look biden sits down with president Xi and says he doesn't want competition you know nuclear competition and ambition to lead to conflict just the competition part of it why not say hey you know what? We're not playing this game. We're going to lean into this, and we're going to do what we can, but we're going to impact points in a lot of places, trade and other things, and let them know that you mean business. It's an honorable, structured, full-force initiative when you're trying to deter somebody from taking you out, okay? And we've already seen a display of technology and capacity by these nations. When we come back from the break, again, Matt Salmon uh, running for governor, but more than anything today, I wanted his expertise to talk about the Asia Pacific and this conflict and tension that's happening there. He has intimate personal experiences, both being in Congress and serving a mission when he was younger in, the, in Taiwan and just understands the culture and a lot of the dynamics that are happening there. And we need to be concerned. Again, this is not a casual interpretation of conflict in our country or in this world. This is something that's been long and it's intended and their initiative is to be the world power. We come back from the break, you'll hear it all here on 960 The Patriot.